Welcome back to the Health in Motion podcast. I'm Alexis. And I'm Evie. And I'm going to go ahead and lead us through our breath work this week. So we'll just go ahead and get started. Um, So remember, we want to inhale through our nose, really feel the bottom of the ribs expand. And we're just going to take a deep four second inhale. And then extend that exhale for six seconds. Go ahead and inhale for four. And this time exhale for eight. And one more time, inhale for four. And exhale for eight. All right. Hopefully that made you feel a little relaxed and ready to listen to this week's episode. All right. It definitely helped me feel relaxed. So I'm going to start with the um, reviewing of the health challenge that we had with Chrissy, which that episode was two weeks ago from this episode. So Chrissy Grody is the host of the What the Fit podcast. And if you haven't listened to that, be sure to go back and listen. But the challenge that Chrissy gave to all the listeners is to take, uh, take a walk outside and to do that for four days out of the week. So I typically do that already, but it was nice to have a little bit more awareness around that and make a little bit more of an intentional walk. Um, and also gave me a chance to just listen to nothing or listen to podcasts. So that was nice. Um, were you able to get that done, Alexis? Yeah. So I think we've talked about this a little on the podcast before too, that I love to walk. Um, I typically, I have two big golden retrievers, so they need lots of walks and the weather's been so lovely lately. So um, it's been pretty easy to get out and get a walk in. Um, Now, do you typically, I'm curious, do you listen to podcasts usually when you walk or nothing, or does it kind of depend? When I do the morning walk, like the first thing in the morning, when I walk, I don't listen to anything. I now that the birds are out, like it's really yeah. nice and lovely just to have more of a quiet start to the day in that way. But if I'm walking in between meetings or if I just need something, I sometimes I'll have like one headphone in and I'll listen to either music or a podcast, but yeah. I actually do enjoy listening to nothing. Um, yeah. but I'm not opposed to listening to things as well. What about yeah. you? Um, I do usually typically listen to something, um, every now and then I'll walk without my headphones, but And it just depends. Like sometimes it depends on my mood. Sometimes I'll listen to more like business related podcasts or um, kind of motivational things. And then other times I'll listen to like true crime podcasts if I really (laughs) just don't want to think about work or anything like that. Not that that is really not stressful, um, but it just it's so different from what I do. It kind of takes you out of that world. So um, I love a, a good episode of Crime Junkie or, you know, a good true crime podcast. So just depends on my mood. I get that. I actually am, if anyone has any recommendations and maybe you do, but I have fallen out of reading for pleasure. Like I don't Mm, remember the last time I've done that. Everything I read is either related to work or like my religion or something like that. And Mm. I just want to get lost in like, I don't know, a romance novel or something like a fairy tale, like just something nice and lovely and relaxing. It doesn't make me think a lot. So any recommendations, please give them to me because that's a goal of mine is I want to read for at least 10 to 15 minutes a day of something that doesn't 
relate to work since I do that all day long. Yeah. I've definitely struggled with that too. I think it's hard to balance between, you know, work and personal life. And then it's like reading just sort of is that thing that gets set aside. And I do like to listen to an audio book every now and then Um, I'll like rent them from the library. So that's a good idea. Yeah. Sometimes if I really, if there's a book I really want to read and I just know I'm not going to have time, I'll rent it from the library. Um, But yeah, it's hard. And I've had the same thought of maybe that needs to be a challenge at some point of (laughs) taking 10 minutes out of the day to read something. Yeah. Um, whether it's to help you in your health journey or, I mean, I think it's healthy to kind of escape a little bit, right? So having a book to read or something to watch that takes you, listen to, that takes you away from reality is, it's good. It's rejuvenating. Yeah. All right. So we're going to go ahead and dive into this week's episode. So for this week's um, episode, we're going to dive into a topic that's one of the most common diagnoses I treat as a physical therapist, which is back pain. So I'm going to focus on lower back pain in the episode to kind of keep things simple, but many of the things that we're going to talk about, they can apply to neck pain or other orthopedic pains or conditions. So um, not everything that we talk about is going to be specific to back pain, but like I said, this is one of the most common things that I treat. And so I thought it was important to do an episode on this. Um, and first, you know, before we really dive in, I want to note that I'm a physical therapist, but I'm likely not your physical therapist. Um, and so the information in this episode, it's meant to guide you if you're experiencing back pain or if someone you love is experiencing back pain, it will hopefully give you some ideas of some things that you can um can do about it, but it's not meant to replace you seeking an individualized care plan. So I'm not going to be going over like, Hey, here's exactly what you need to do. Use this thing or, um, do this exercise because that really is all individualized. Um, but so I just wanted to make that note before we go too far. So, okay, let's go ahead and just dive in to low back pain. So we're going to talk a little bit about what low back pain is and what your symptoms may look like, uh, if you're experiencing low back pain. So first of all, you know, obviously people think about pain kind of in that like lower region right above the pelvis where you kind of have those two little dimples in your lower back. Um, Sometimes you'll get an aching pain there. Sometimes it can be a sharp pain. Um, Sometimes it can radiate a little bit. And so that's typically what I see people present with is this sort of pain right in that lower back region. Sometimes it can travel into the glutes and the hips a little bit. And sometimes what we call your sacroiliac joint or your pelvis, um, that can also sometimes be involved in lower back pain. Um, So like I mentioned, the symptoms, it can be an achy pain, it can be a sharp pain, it can radiate. Um, We also will sometimes see where there can be pain or numbness and tingling that travels down your leg. And we'll talk about that just a little bit more. Um, Sometimes that, that may or may not be hand in hand with back pain, depending on the person. So some people will present with that kind of radiating pain all the way down the leg, but they they'll say to me, but my back really doesn't hurt. I don't really have back pain, um, which is always interesting, but Yeah. So sometimes they will have back pain along with that leg pain and sometimes not so much. So, um, that's what it may look like. Uh, and I did mention how common it was back pains. Actually, I think it's like the top reason why people miss work. One of the top reasons why people miss work in the U S so it's, it's really, really common. If it's not something you've experienced, that's great. Um, but I, like I said, it's one of the most common things that we see here. 
So we're going to talk a little bit about diagnoses that you've likely heard of, um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about what those different things look like. So the first thing is when people say low back pain, a lot of time what they're referring to is what we call mechanical low back pain. And what that means is the person is having that pain with certain movements. It's pretty centralized to the lower back, so it's not really radiating up or down. Um, it's just it's back pain that, hey, when I bend over, it hurts. Or when I lay down, it's more painful than when I sit up or vice versa. So that mechanical low back pain can be affected by positions um, and different movements that you're doing. The next thing that I want to talk about that I think there's a lot of misconceptions around is disc herniations or what some people will call a slipped disc, which is a really poor term. I'm not really sure where that term came from, but people say I slipped a disc and discs don't slip. They're not slippery. <laughs> so we'll put that out right now. I'm sure you've heard that before, right, Evie? Yes, I have. And I'm glad that you say that. You, you've actually kind of debunked a lot of the things that I've heard people say and that I've probably used at some point. And we might get yeah. into a little bit more of that, but the yes. slipped disc is kind of funny. So yes, especially it is. Slippery. Seen, yeah, I've seen these really funny, um, like cartoon pictures of these discs, like looking like they're slipping on ice, you know, like it's like a disc with a face and hands, like yeah. looking like it's, slipping. it's like, you don't slip a disc. Um, so when we talk about the discs, we have, we'll talk a little bit anatomy here, right? So we've got these vertebra, which are the bones in your back. And then there's discs that sit in between those vertebra. Okay, and those discs are primarily made up of water. So what can happen is that disc can kind of, there's a little nucleus in the middle of it that can herniate a little bit. And sometimes when the disc herniates, it's sort of almost like it's um, like expanding out. This is really hard to describe on a podcast, but it's expanding out sort of between those vertebra a little bit. But it's not like the disc itself is actually like not between the vertebra anymore. Do you see what I'm saying? So I yeah. think that disc sometimes gives people this really negative visual of what's going on with their back. Um, so understand that it's really just a little bit of that fluid kind of starts to move outside of where it normally sits. And most disc herniations are not severe and most of them can heal on their own. So oftentimes it's a small disc herniation. Now, if the disc is herniated to a certain extent, it can start to press on the nerves that come out of our spine. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about what that might look like. Um, but most of the time, even in that situation, we can help to heal that disc herniation and resolve those symptoms with conservative management. So what are what would cause a disc to, you know, herniate or yeah. what would cause this? That's a great question um, and a complicated one. It depends, yeah. right? That's like my favorite thing to say. Um, it depends. So sometimes I, I think a lot of people have heard of disc herniations when someone like lifts something heavy. So it's sort of when you go into like an end range of motion in your back. So if you're really far forward flexed um, and you try and lift something, sometimes that can bring on that disc herniation. So it can sometimes be like that acute incident. Some of these things can happen over time, repetitive motions that can cause some of these things as well. Um, disc herniations themselves are really not super uncommon. And we're going to talk about imaging in a little bit, but a lot of times, most of us probably have some form of disc herniation right now, and we don't even have back pain, right? Yeah. So a lot of times 
imaging, we may see a disc herniation, which can sound very scary and very concerning, but it's actually very common. So that's something else to note. Um, so if it's a, you know, over time, this disc has just herniated a little bit, maybe because of a repetitive motion that we're doing, um, we might see that on an image, but it's not necessarily, um, the cause of our symptoms if we're having symptoms or we may not have symptoms at all. That's good to know because I always, in my mind, I'm associating this with like an acute situation of like, oh, you picked the box up wrong or you did the lift really, you know, sure. you weren't as tight when you did the lift or whatever. But knowing this can happen over time and I'm just sitting here myself kind of curled up in my chair and I'm like, I'm probably not helping that. Like it could just <laughs> be this overtime thing that's happening. So that's good to yeah. hear too. Yeah. And like I said, it's also pretty normal. Like mm -hmm. these things can happen, you know, just small disc herniations and it's not really something to be really super worried about. Okay. Um, so the next thing I want to talk about is sciatica and what that is. So sci the sciatic nerve is a very large nerve. It um, starts in our lower back and it runs down the back of our leg. So it goes kind of through the glute muscles, down through the hamstrings, all the way down the foot things, nerves branch off of that sciatic nerve to what we call innervate, which means they go into the different muscles and, and cause those um, muscles to work, right? So we think about wanting to flex our foot and our nerve makes that happen, right? So it's that communication channel. Um, so the reason it's called sciatica is because that sciatic nerve is being pinched somewhere along the line where it runs. So sciatica is really kind of a like a catch-all term for that nerve pain down the back of your leg. Um, and it's important to understand that it's a catch-all term. It's not a very, very specific diagnosis. So you may present with sciatica symptoms because you've got something going on in your lower back, like that disc herniation, if it's, if it's severe enough that maybe it's pushing on the nerve. Um, or it can be from stenosis, which is the fancy word for arthritis in your back. Um, so as we age, this is, I guess, something else to note about the discs, our bodies naturally dehydrate as we age. And so the discs actually get a little smaller over time because they're mostly made up of water. Um, and so the disc gets smaller, which creates less space in between those vertebra. And then sometimes we can get some degeneration uh, in the actual vertebra. As we know, our bones, we start to develop some arthritis over time. Um, so sometimes the nerves can get caught if we've got arthritis in our spine as well. Is that also why some people appear to get shorter as they get older? Because the yes. that gap gets smaller in between? Okay. Yeah, because you're losing water in your body, it, your body dehydrates over time. So your spine, those discs in between the spine dehydrate. Interesting. Yes. And then with sciatica, is it, does this go down both legs, like these nerves, or is it one? Okay. So they're separate sciatic okay. nerves that go down each leg. So they come out of both sides of your spine, the origin of it, right? So you've got your spinal cord that runs along your spine and nerves come off that spinal cord and they come out at different levels of your spine. Um, so, you know, not to get like too nerdy about this, but when you go into the lower back, you can see on both sides where the sciatic nerve comes out on each side. So you've got a right sciatic nerve and a left sciatic nerve. Okay. So it can affect either leg. Like you can have yeah. this sort of sensation in either leg due to the yeah. sciatic nerve. Okay. Yes, yes, absolutely. So it just depends on, again, so 
it can get caught in the spine. So like we talked about, there could be arthritis, there could be disc herniation. So that may cause sciatic nerve impingement higher up. And that's really more at the level of the nerve, but I don't think we need to go down that nerdy of a route here on this podcast. Yeah, you can just um, schedule a consult with Alexis if you want to get into that. <laughs> yeah, if you want to get into the real details of it. Um, and then, like I said, it runs into your glute muscles. So there's some muscles in that glute region, specifically um, our piriformis muscle, which runs from kind of the side of our hip to to our tailbone. That muscle sometimes can get really tight and that can push on that sciatic nerve. And then it runs down, it can get caught under, you know, where your hamstring attaches to your pelvis. It can get caught somewhere in the hamstring muscle, lower down in your leg. Um, and there's different names for these things, but again, sciatic has sort of become this catch-all, like I've got pain down my leg or I have numbness and tingling down my legs. So it's sciatica. Um, but I just mentioned what four or five different places it could get trapped that could cause these symptoms. So this is again, why it's so important to get that individualized assessment and to not say, well, I've got sciatica. I'm going to just look up some exercises because if your symptoms are coming from that piriformis pressing on the nerve versus like maybe what you're looking up is to treat if it's coming from your lower back, it's not going to be effective for you, right? Because we're not getting to that root cause. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. And this isn't from I'm going to be sharing this episode with quite a few people who could benefit from it. <laughs> yes. So just important things to understand when it comes to back pain. Um, and I did, I, I kind of briefly mentioned arthritis there. Um, Arthritis is a normal part of aging. And if we all went and got an MRI of our spine, we're all going to have some arthritis. So it's not something to be concerned about unless if it's, you know, causing symptoms and then there is plenty you can do about it. But just something to note as well that, like I said, the dehydration of the discs is normal um, and getting a little bit of that, again, the fancy word is stenosis. Um, it's just arthritis in your back. So the next thing I want to touch on is, okay, if you're experiencing some of these symptoms that we've talked about, you've got some lower back pain, maybe you've got some symptoms down your leg, when should you seek treatment? And my answer to this is always, why not just right away? <laughs> because, and the reason being, um, I see so many people who, well, I thought this was going to go away. I thought it was going to go away. One day I felt a little better and the next day it felt worse. Um, and people will wait months, sometimes even years. And it takes a lot longer to resolve a problem that's been going on for, and Evie, I'm sure you see this in your practice as well. Um, if a problem's been going on for months, years, it's going to take us a long time to reverse those things. Um, our when we experience pain, and at some point we'll do a, a pain episode uh, a little more specifically as well, but when we experience pain, um, it's coming from our nervous system. And I know we've talked about this before. And so it becomes this learned thing, right? Yeah. So rewiring that and teaching our nervous system that it's okay, you don't have the muscles don't have to guard, interrupting those pain signals is more challenging when something's been going on for a long time. If you have an acute flare-up of low back pain, let's say you went out and you, I mean, it's lovely weather now here, but back when it snowed, let's say you go out and you shovel your driveway and all of a sudden your back's hurting. I can typically help you in one to two visits in that situation to get back to, you know, 
again, this is like, that's kind of generalized, but normally just a couple visits. You just need a few exercises, a few strategies um, to get the pain down, and then you're good to go. It's when we wait and we wait and we wait, and it turns into this more chronic issue that it takes us, you know, a few months to get you feeling better. So it's just something to keep in mind. I'm not saying you need to rush to PT with like, oh, I felt this weird thing in my pinky toe yesterday. I guess I better go to PT. But when it comes to back pain, it can definitely turn into something that sticks around for a long time. So I always say, you know, as soon as you feel something, it's worth having a consult and just getting some strategies. Okay, so then the next question is, who do you see if you're having back pain, right? Um, and this is so interesting to me as a physical therapist. Um, and I've said this before on the podcast, but we are just the absolute worst at marketing ourselves. And I, you know, the word marketing might sound a little and like sales sounds kind of sleazy, but it's education, right? How do we teach the public what it is that we do? Because most people think physical therapy is where you go after you have shoulder surgery or, you know, when your doctor tells you, you need to go see a PT because you've got plantar fasciitis or whatever it is, that's when you go. And a lot of people don't even think of us when it comes to their spine. I think, you know, chiropractors as a uh, profession, they've done a wonderful job at educating the community on what it is they do and when you should go see them. I um, was just telling the story the other day, I went to a local business near my new office the other day and I was, we were just chatting and I was telling them, oh yeah, I just moved my physical therapy business in, we're right over there. And the woman asked me, so do you have any recommendations for a chiropractor? I have back issues. And I just had to laugh because I'm like, this is so just stereotypical. Like I'm standing in front of you as a PT and you have absolutely no idea that I could help you with that because we as a profession have done a poor job. Yeah. And the chiropractic pr profession has done a fabulous job at it. Um, so, you know, it's just funny. And a chiropractor is absolutely an appropriate place to go if you're having back pain. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just letting you know that we are also an option for that problem because I think a lot of people just don't know. Um, again, we've done a poor job at that. And, you know, the other thing, and we've talked about this as well, but I'm going to touch on it again, is should you see your physician first? And a lot of times if you're going to your primary care doctor, you know, they may give you some medication. Um, but typically the goal with that in their perspective is to give you medication to get you through until you can see a chiropractor or a physical therapist. So it's really an unnecessary step in my opinion. Um, you know, get started on some PT or some chiropractic care. And then if you are not improving, then that's when we would, you know, refer you back to a physician and we're going to want you to see a spine specialist um, in that situation. So, but nine times out of 10, especially if it's an acute back thing, we're going to be able to get that under control. So the answer of who should you see, in my opinion, you know, go see a physical therapist right away, get an assessment, get it looked at um, and, and figure out what that individualized care plan looks like for you. So hopefully by some of the things I've talked about with the mechanical low back pain, the disc herniations, the sciatica, hopefully you've seen that those things can present very differently in different people. Um, you know, you are an individual person, your work tasks, your um, tasks with your family, the things that you have to do day to day to take care of your kids or your pets or your home. Um, 
the things that you might have to do, like I said, for your job, whether you're sitting all day, or maybe you have a job that's a little more physically demanding, that's going to change what your treatment plan is. And then we look at you as, you know, what do you look like in front of me? How are you moving? Is there something maybe movement wise that we need to treat? What is strong? What's weak? What can we kind of work on there? Um, so, you know, I think it's important to avoid, um, and I was just listening to a podcast where they were talking about this this morning, um, and it was related to food allergies. So different, but the same, um, Facebook and the internet is not the place to seek advice if you're experiencing this back pain. Um, again, it's everybody's different. So the last thing you want to do is go to the Facebook moms group and say, I've got sciatica, what worked for you? Exactly. Same thing with nutrition. Yeah. Same thing with nutrition. I mean, so many times people come to me and they're like, I heard this is really good for people with thyroid disease. I'm like, well, it can be, but we have to look a deeper, we have to take a deeper look into what works for you. And mm -hmm. I think we just seek that out though. We want that. We want that blanket statement because it's easy to follow. But again, getting that individualized care and plan and treatment is way more effective in the long run than going off of what the internet says. Because as Alexis has pointed out, they might give you exercises or suggestions to do on things that isn't even related to where the pain or where the, you know, the block is happening in your own body. So just get it checked out. Just don't waste your time. Just go do it. Right, exactly. And, you know, I think the other thing is, there's a lot of, um, in my industry, there's a lot of, well, there's two things. There's a lot of like, what orthotics should I use? Or what brace can I use? Or um, what stretch can I do? Right? So there's that side of it, um, which is frustrating, because nine times out of 10, the people who I see commenting on those posts have absolutely no business giving advice. It's just, hey, I had this thing, or my husband had this thing. And here's what we did that made it better. That's great for you. But you know, nothing about this person who's asking the question again, what do they do for work? What are their recreational activities? What are their stress levels? What are they eating? Are they sleeping? All of those things have to be assessed by your provider. And then your plan should be very individualized to you. So just because this person got orthotics and it magically solved their back pain, that absolutely doesn't mean that that's going to be the trick for you. Um, the other side is there are a lot of providers, and I am one of them, who are on Instagram posting videos of different exercises to try. Those things are for educational purposes, honestly. Um, they're not to say like, hey, you have back pain, do this thing. Um, I think I did a video back when it did snow on um, back pain. And it was like, here's three stretches to try. That is like the most generic advice in the entire world. Um, but you know, it's it. Again, we're trying to educate the community on like, hey, we treat this thing. Here are some ideas that you could try, but it's not a full treatment plan. So it's just so important to go in and tell someone your story and describe your problem and let them guide you to solutions that are specific to you. I think I just, I can't say it enough that that individualized care, it honestly makes all the difference in the world. It really does. So one other thing I want to touch on when it comes to the back um, is imaging. So this is, I think when it comes to back pain, I probably get asked that more than any other joint problem is like, well, don't I need an MRI? And 
first, I think we need to understand the limitations of imaging, right? So when we look at an x-ray, we're mostly just seeing the bones. Um, we can see where there might be some swelling or some other stuff going on, but we're not seeing um, really specifically. You can see the disc space, but you won't be able to like see a disc herniation or a nerve impingement or anything like that on an x-ray. Um, and when it comes to other joints, like you can't see the cartilage or like for a shoulder x-ray, you're not going to be able to see if there's a labral tear or anything like that. So MRIs are more um, in depth and you can see more on an MRI. MRIs are very expensive. And as I mentioned earlier, we often see things on MRIs that are not the pain generating problem. So they've done a ton of research specifically in the lower back that shows you know, we may see stenosis, disc herniation, all these different things, but those quote unquote problems or those abnormalities, I should say, are not what's generating the pain for that patient. Again, pain is very complicated. There are a lot of things that play into pain and the way our body processes pain that all comes from that central nervous system, which is your brain and spinal cord. So if we're having back pain um, for years and years, oftentimes, whatever we might have seen on that MRI is healed. Maybe there's a disc herniation, but it's been there for, you know, 15 years and we've had back pain for 10 years. Well, that disc herniation is not causing that back pain. Um, and, you know, there's if you have questions about those studies, I'm happy to send you details. I won't get too nerdy here, but there's, you know, they've been able to prove that, hey, that's not the thing that's causing this person's pain. So in my opinion, imaging is really a limited tool to use. Um, I also think it's important to understand that we're not seeing, um, and this is kind of a, a hot topic, um, we're not seeing bones being out of alignment on an x-ray. Um, you really, you don't need an x-ray. If you have acute back pain, you don't need any kind of imaging. Now, if you were in an, a, like a motor vehicle accident, then we might be concerned about fractures or some type of traumatic accident, then absolutely x-rays are necessary in that situation. But if you woke up one day and your back started hurting, um, you just need to start moving and you need to get an assessment and, and imaging really isn't necessary. And actually the, I think it's the American Academy of Physicians, like their recommendation on MRIs with back pain is that patients need to present with, um, Ridicular symptoms, which means pain, numbness, tingling down the legs that you're not able to resolve with any type of intervention before they would require imaging. So it's very interesting because I have tons of patients who've had MRIs that only have back pain. They don't have any of those ridiculous symptoms. And really, that's going against their own um, recommendations. So, really wow. interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, that's uh, kind of the gist of imaging and do we need it or not? Most of the time, no. Um, you know, there's always going to be those, it depends. And sometimes, you know, maybe it is necessary, but they've also done studies where individuals who get imaging actually have worse outcomes than do those who don't. Because there is, we've talked about mindset and the power of mindset. And if you know there is a disc herniation or there is arthritis, that's going to change your mindset around your pain and your ability to heal. So patients actually don't recover as well 
when they've had imaging compared to those who have not had Im imaging. There are a lot of studies on that. So that's another thing that I think it's really important to know is if you're pushing for that imaging, maybe just take a step back and think about it a bit more. Think about, does this change what I'm going to do? What does that do to my mindset? Does it change the plan of care? Does it change, you know, how we're going to take care of this problem I have? And if the answer is no, then let's skip the imaging for a while. I think that's just an important thing to, um, to be aware of and to know the limitations of that imaging and, and actually how it could have a negative impact on your healing process. So I just wanted to make sure I kind of noted that. I think um, there's this sort of misconception in our society that we need to have imaging in order to know how to treat something or we have to be able to see what's going on. Um, but seeing what's going on in the back really doesn't help us with how we're going to treat it. So I think that's really important to understand. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad that you said that. And I think that'll help a lot of people who might be on the fence about that or need more information. Right. Yeah. I think that it's, you know, it's a question that I've definitely gone over a lot with my patients and I want to make sure that everyone understands, you know, what those limitations are and when it might be appropriate or not. So, um, just hopefully good information for you to know. Um, again, you know, all of this is really to give you the power to say, okay, um, I've got this thing going on. What am I supposed to do about it? What's the next step? And then understanding, you know, what the benefits are of getting imaging or going to see a physical therapist right away. Um, and then just understanding those diagnoses a little bit more. So I think, you know, Evie and I have both harped on this a lot when it comes to, you know, finding someone who is specialized in something and is an expert and really getting help from them versus, I don't know, it's almost like, especially since COVID, I think people, you know, people are still trying to avoid going out when they don't have to. And um, it's just like this epidemic of social media misinformation when it comes to, and it's everywhere. And it's in, in that podcast I was listening to this morning where they were talking specifically about food allergy. Um, but the physician who was talking, he was saying things. I'm like, oh my gosh, this all applies to physical therapy too. It's just too easy to type in exercises for low back pain into YouTube. And you don't know who that person is. And even if you follow up and you've realized, yeah, they are, you know, who they say they are and they're really well qualified, that doesn't mean that those things are the right things for you to be doing. So I think it's just really important to reiterate, especially when it comes to back pain, um, that we need to seek out that individualized care. I think it comes down to the convenience of that stuff. It's easy to buy. It's easy to buy a fat loss program online that theoretically you can do self-paced. It's easy mm -hmm. to buy a workout plan from your favorite trainer because they're super shredded and you're just going to follow what they do. But again, right. it's, it doesn't make sense for you nine times out of 10. You have to have that individualized care and it can feel inconvenient at times. But again, in the long run, you'd rather just get that individualized care from the start rather than wasting your time. Yeah, exactly. Um, one other thing I think I should note, and we're going to be having Dr. Tyler back on soon, and she's going to be specifically talking about um, pre-postnatal, which I think will be a really helpful episode as well. Um Oftentimes, the pelvic floor can be sort of a missing piece when it comes to back pain. So it's important if you're seeing a physical therapist, they should be asking you 
pelvic health related questions. So they should be asking about um, urinary or fecal incontinence, um, pain with intercourse, all those things can be keys. Um, so me, again, like I've said this before, I don't treat the pelvic floor, but I screen all of my back patients to make sure that the pelvic floor isn't a big component to what they have going on. If I think that it may be a relevant factor, then I want to get them right on Tyler's schedule. And really all orthopedic PT should be doing that when it comes to back pain. So if, if you have back pain and your physical therapist is asking you those questions, it's to make sure that the pelvic floor might not be the missing piece when it comes to your, your back pain that you're experiencing. Um, so I think, you know, one other thing I feel like maybe we should touch on and Evie, maybe you have some things to um, contribute here is what are things that maybe people think are bad for their back? Hmm. I feel like that's something that I've heard a lot of as well. People think different things are bad for their spine or bad for their back. And so they want to, um, they think they need to avoid certain things or that if they're doing something, it's bad for their back. So what is something that you've heard is bad for your back? Oh gosh. So when I started lifting weights about 10 years ago and I started posting videos of me squatting, oh, the feedback I got, mainly from like the older women from church who would oh. see the videos on my Facebook of that's, that's bad for your back or that's too heavy or um, mm -hmm. that. I mean, it, it's funny because that's bad for my back, but the crouching over that you do to pick up the box off the floor isn't bad for your back. Right. right. It, it didn't make sense yeah. to me. Um, mm -hmm. so a lot of things with lifting weights, deadlifting, that can be bad for your back. Um, really anything that involves lifting anything heavier than five pounds, I've been told, don't do that. That's bad for your back from people right. who aren't educated, obviously like on that, sure. on that matter. But that's yeah. a lot of what I hear. Yeah. And so, and deadlifting is a big one too, that people think deadlifting is bad for your back and deadlifting is really a hip hinge. So you're bracing with your core muscles, um, which when we talk about the core, we're really talking about, um, you know, the top part of your core is your diaphragm muscle. It's almost like if you picture like a soda can, the top part's the diaphragm, the bottom part's the pelvic floor. And then that cylinder around, that's all those muscles that we have. So our ab muscles, our back muscles, and we talk about, um, you know, pressurizing that core properly, which I think we might've talked with Tyler about, and we'll get into that even a little bit more, I'm sure in future episodes, but that proper pressure and that core helps us to stabilize when we're lifting. But really when you're deadlifting, that lifting motion is coming from a hip hinge. So we're using those glute muscles, those hamstrings. Of course, you're going to get a little bit of um, the back muscles working, but back muscles are just that they're muscles. We want them to be strong. We want to work them. So you're not hurting your spine. There's nothing wrong with building strength around your spine. Same thing with squatting. Um, now, obviously, if you've never been under a barbell and you try and squat 200 pounds, you're probably going to hurt yourself. I don't know if right. it's going to be your back. It's going to hurt when you're done. Um, but I think it's important to know that those things, like if you are progressively overloading, you are not going to hurt yourself. Um, things can happen. Anything can happen. You can roll funny in bed and be like, I don't know what I just did, but my back just, you know, locked up or it feels locked up or it hurts. Um, things happen, but those movements are not inherently bad for your back. Lifting isn't inherently bad for your back. And honestly, people, you build that strength and resilience around the movements that you do. So the more you're hinging, the more you're squatting, 
Those are things you do in your everyday. Every time you sit down and stand up off the toilet, you're doing a squat. Every time you pick up, um, you know, a box off the floor or whatever it might be. Um, you know, for me lately, it's every time I pick my kid up when he wants picked up, that's that hinging motion right? So if I'm working that in the gym, and I'm getting that stronger, then I'm going to be able to do that motion better. And I'm going to be more resilient to that, which means I'm less likely to get injured. So those things are not bad for your back. Um, I know, you know, another really common myth is running is bad for your knees. And there's really not evidence around that they've done some studies where they say like, you know, if you're marathon running, all the time, that's might be a different story, right? But just the average amount of running that a person does, it's actually really good for your joints. It's a a good type of impact on those joints. So um, we have these just myths that have been around forever and ever. Um, You know, we say that kids lifting weight stunts their growth, and that's not true. There's no evidence of that. So I don't know the origin of all of these myths, but I do think it's important to kind of talk about that a little bit and understand that if you are lifting properly, you're moving properly and you're progressively overloading, those things are not bad for your back. So it's really important to understand that. Um, we've also, you know, Evie and I have talked a lot about like posture and, and sitting at a desk and some evidence around that, that really the best thing to do is just move every hour. Um, sitting in a slouch posture all day long, of course, you're going to have some aches and pains and some problems. And there are certainly some ergonomic things you can do with your desk that are better than others. But I think um, in terms of back health and taking care of your spine, the best thing you can do is get up every hour, move around a little bit, do some deep breaths. Um, You know, breathing is really, really important when it comes to the back because we use that diaphragm muscle at the bottom of our ribs to breathe, or we should be using that. Our ribs are directly attached to our spine. It's all connected. It's all connected. So it's really important to, you know, be working on your breathing and using the diaphragm as well, especially if you've suffered from back or neck pain. That's always where my back patients start is just making sure that we're breathing properly. So again, you know, I don't want to give a rundown of like, here are the 10 exercises you should do. And here's what it should look like, because everyone's different. Um, But what I will say is, get an evaluation right away, if you can, Um, try and keep moving. Uh, There used to be a belief around when we're talking about miss bed rest. So it used to be that, okay, my back hurts. So I'm going to lay on the couch all day. Uh, cause I, I can't move and really the best thing you can do if you have acute back pain is to keep moving. And I don't mean pushing through severe 10 out of 10 pain, but whatever you can do, you should do. So if you're having some back pain, try and walk, try and stand up and move around every hour. Um, bed rest is not the answer when it comes to back pain. So keep yourself moving get an assessment as soon as you can. Um, And then, you know, breathing is always good. I I can't think of a single situation where I would tell someone that working on diaphragmatic breathing isn't a good thing to do. So um, certainly work on breathing and just try and get that assessed right away. So Evie, do you have any other questions around back pain? I know this episode was kind of a lot of information. It was a a little sciencey again, but um, important stuff for people who are dealing with this. I think that was very helpful and the science was easy to understand and relatable because we've all had some sort of back pain at some point. So we can all relate to that. Um, 
definitely had some more detail in there that I hadn't thought about, but I think it was yeah. great. I think this is going to be very helpful for a lot of people. And again, make sure that if you, you have people in your life that suffer from this and say a lot of the myths that Alexis just, you know, debunked, please share this with them because this is good information. And at least they know that there is a solution to it other than what Google is telling you. So I think this is awesome. And I'm excited for people to hear this. Yes, absolutely. Um, so for our health challenge this week, because we talked a little about breathing in this episode, and obviously, Evie and I are big on breath work, we do it in every episode. Um, so when we talk about box breathing, that's the four second inhale, four second hold, four second exhale, four second hold. So I'm going to challenge everyone for the next week to take two minutes out of their day to do that box breathing. So I usually recommend to my patients, just set a timer for yourself for two minutes. Um, you don't have to worry about counting that and just count your inhales, your holds and your exhales. So let's try and do that every day. You can do it first thing in the morning, over lunch, the end of the night, whatever you want to do uh, whenever you have time, but two minutes a day over the next week. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Evie. Thanks, Alexis. Have a great week, everybody. 